You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, the running public. This is the Running Public's Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. And I'm missing a shoe down here. You got a shoe thief, Bracken. One's missing from your wall. You know what? That's the razor. I wore it in Dallas. So you're your own shoe thief. Not Dallas. Orlando. Equally hot. You're losing your mind, man. I am. You were down in Orlando this weekend. Sure was. Do I look do I have that fresh, glowing Florida tan going? It's like a pinkish hue, yeah. I was probably outside for a total of five minutes. Shakeout run? No, I didn't run outside. Are you kidding me? It was <laughs> so hot and humid for me. I stepped outside, sweat through my shirt, and went back inside. It's the same here. It's It was 100 degrees in Minneapolis on the head for the high uh, on Saturday. It's wild. Actually, a thunderstorm my first 18 hours there. Yeah, rough. I just stayed inside. I want to hear about your your team or doubles event. I saw a clip of you. So so Bracken did high rocks. Do you call it team? Uh, mixed doubles. Mixed doubles. And I saw a clip of you doing the farmer's carry. And I'm not lying, Bracken. I thought it was on fast forward. Like I thought that you sped up the video to make it look like you were going faster than you were. But that's how fast you were going. I told a friend of mine, outside of our kids, it's probably the best thing I've ever done in my life. You So that wasn't on fast forward. Your body was moving that quickly. I could hear people laughing while I was doing it. Because you looked ridiculous. <laughs> because it looked ridiculous, yeah. It looked like you were floating across the earth, but you were carrying heavy weights. Yeah. Well, we, we know that I haven't been doing a ton of any sort of specific training, but one thing I have been doing is lifting, and I've been doing a lot of deadlift, and I've been doing uh, heavy static holds with heavy weights and then heavy shrugs. So of all the stations, I was most prepared for farmer's carry. And the men's open or the men's pro weight is 70 pounds per hand. And this was 53 pounds per hand. Okay. So that's 17 pound difference per hand. I picked it up like ready for that heavy weight to hit where it just pulls your shoulders down. I was like, oh my goodness, I think I can run with this thing. You didn't, whatever beyond running is, you hit like some sort of supersonic speed. I wish that was still up on your story for our listeners to go watch because it was amusing. Yeah, that's that, that That was funny. During it, I, I thought, I wonder what this is going to do to my legs in the next station, which was weighted lunges. Mm. That was my hero moment of the race. From I watched all your highlights. That one got oh, yeah. good. Yeah, yeah that, that was that was fun. It, it highlighted why the race was awesome was because you could do things like that. In regular high rocks, it's 1,000 meter run and then a station, which in theory should take between three and five minutes because they're trying to even out the run to heavy work ratio to try to make it the perfect meeting ground of strength and endurance to decide like who's the best worker for 60 to 70 minutes. Yeah. So in that, because you're working for 60 to 70 minutes, you can never tip over past redlining. You have to like nudge the needle the whole time, but you can't blow up. But in doubles, you split, you run together and you split the work however you see fit. So it was basically a you go, me go workout. So you got to blow up the tubes for 20 seconds to a minute and then rest for almost equal time if you wanted. So you could do crazy hard bursts and that made it really fun. I would imagine in mixed doubles, then the weaker runner would be the one who's doing significantly more effort uh overall through the race because the running still needs to be done together correct yeah so the faster runner is going to have let's say in quotes the easier time in general because you're recovering when maybe the other person is truly still working yeah so what that leads to is whoever the slower runner is is working at a sustainable work rate on the stations and the faster runner just does whatever they can do to blow it out because they know they get to recover on the run yeah, faster runner turns into Sonic the Hedgehog when he puts farmer's carries in his hands. Yeah, and that made it fun because yeah. Michelle Michelle was, was a rock star and she's really good at high rocks and she's tenacious out there when she competes. And so she was running strong, but 
just by nature of where we're at physically and gender, I was able to recover on the runs while she was redlining. So I got to come into things and work hard. Like for the row, for example, when I do a full high rocks, I'm sitting between 148 and 153 per 500. That's my my rowing rate. Just quick. For yeah. a thousand meters. It's quick-ish, but it's not impressive for rowing, but it's station number, what, four out of eight, and you've already run 4K and done two big sleds. So it's more about mitigating damage. But here, I, I, I think my first 250 meters, I rode at 129, 130. That's fast. Because I could just blow it out. I'm not a crazy rower, but I could hold that because I get to rest afterwards. So it allowed me to like work in crazy bursts where she worked in high-end sustainable. All I know is that uh, you've done two team events this year and you are two for two in gold medals. Yep. Victories. So if I have a team competition coming up, Bracken, I think you're going to get a phone call. You know, historically, I am a relay and a team person. Yeah. I get a lot of satisfaction winning individually, but that's about it. I have my nerves, my strategy, it all weighs heavy on me individually. But if I'm on a relay, it kind of frees me of all my race anxiety and mm -hmm. all I, I, I can I can bury myself in a in a team event way more than I can individually. Yeah, I'm actually that way as well. Going back to high school, college relays, all my best performances were relays takes the stress off. You can truly run your best race relaxed. and Yeah. Not in an open race, I worry about going too hard and blowing up. And in a relay, I worry about leaving something in the tank. Right. Right. Like I want to, I want to blow up as I cross the line rather than like being a miser with my energy. I just want to explode it all. So it probably is my best form of racing because it's probably my purest exertion. Okay. Well, I have a burning question for you then after all of this. And that is, in the last episode, you admitted to being in a training slump, and we, we talked through all that. And uh, what a day after we recorded that you're in a slump, you went and raced, which is always like an interesting thing to do when you're in a self-proclaimed slump. Yeah. And so I want to know how that all played out for you this weekend. Well, first of all, I would not have done this for an individual event. The only reason I did it was to race with Michelle. I, I would not have done it solo because of the slump. And and if I'm being totally honest, I didn't even want to go by the time it got here. We signed up for this weeks ago. I bought my flight weeks ago. And now that it's here, now that I'm in my slump, I thought, ugh, like I'm excited to go do this with her. But the act of going to do it, I didn't even want to get out of bed to drive to the airport. It's a lot of work to do something that you're feeling apathetic about. Yeah. And it was like a 3.50 wake up to get to the airport on time because I had an early flight out of Chicago. You know, it was just that whole when you're pumped about something, you're like, oh, I got to get up, but all right, I'm going to do this. And when you're not pumped about it, everything's a hassle. But the moment I was at the venue, it kind of reminded me why I love what I do. It's just energy at these places. Everyone's Everyone's there for somewhat of the same reason especially for an event like a high rocks, everyone's a little terrified of how bad it's going to hurt. Yeah. Cause you can go out and walk a half marathon and finish it. You can't, you can't just float through a high rocks cause the weights are too heavy. So everyone, even if you're going easy, you have to work hard and you have to hurt. Yeah. So everyone's kind of got that shared apprehension. And right away, people started coming up from the start talking about the slump. They had heard the episode. I can't tell you how many people came up and either said, Hey, I hope this snaps you out of it, or we're rooting for you, or I'm going through the exact same thing. So even just talking about it with dozens of people was a huge step towards having that pilot light lit again. I, I probably received upwards of a dozen to dozen and a half messages from current athletes or people that really related to what you were saying. And we're in that time of year, like everybody was all pumped up that racing was back and the weather starts turning in the, you know, the March time frame, and everybody hits it hard. I mean, you get a few races under your belt and you get that out of your system and then you inevitably come down from that. And it's like the what now? And June is like slump time. And I've thought about it and it's it's historically been it happens. Spring yeah. is over. We're finally settled into summer. Races have happened. And now we go, OK, we're back to it. And now we're just grinding. It's it's the, the it's not romantic anymore. It's we're in the meat of this relationship and that's where you work through the troubles, right? This running relationship. So you're not alone. A lot of people confirm that. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was, now Lisa said you need to talk about it cause it'll resonate, but you never know exactly how many people are going through what you're going through. 
but apparently a lot. This is a uh, a weird um, a weird correlation to make, but uh, and I don't talk about my time on reality TV a ton. I don't I don't mean to, anyways. It's just for reference here. But uh, when I was in interviews on The Bachelor, they'd sit there and interview about very like you know stuff that's a little uh, I don't know like you're a little bashful to talk about, right? You're talking about like love and all that frufery stuff. And sometimes you didn't like a guy that was on the show with you and all that. And I'd always be like, I don't want to say that. Like, how do you feel about this? I'd be like, I don't want to say that. And they said, whatever you're thinking, Kirk, I promise you that at least half of the audience and everybody else here is thinking it too. So you might as well speak the truth and what's on your mind because that's going to make you relatable. And so just quit holding back. And there's a lot of truth to that. If you're going through something or you're thinking something, uh, short of knowing it's going to hurt somebody's feelings, then like you, you talk it out. So- you, you could apply that in many, many ways, but I'm glad you said something. It's what I'm getting at. Yeah, I, I am too. I, I really am. And there is power to just saying it and getting it out there. It's one thing when you're in a basement alone, like, uh, no one knows if I would quit this workout and no one knows that I want to quit this workout. But as soon as you tell everyone, like, all right, they know I'm going through it. Let's get the workout done. And then you hear that she's going through it and he's going through it and they're going through it. All right, let's, we can all, we can all get through this doldrum of, we're halfway through the year, which means we're at the farthest away point we can get from that season opener without yet being in sight of the championships at the end of the yep. year. We're just stuck right in the middle and there's not a ton of stuff on the horizon and then it's hot. Well, and this is what's happened. A lot of people have done big things, big trail marathons and ultra beast this weekend. And you're coming down from that. You're recovering the what's next. There's always the inevitable fall after the rise and demeanor and even mental fortitude. Right. And so like, it's just, uh, it's, it can happen. So then, uh, you know, my question is then what did this weekend do for you? If anything? Well, first of all, I, a lot of people ask the same question, which is why do you have no motivation? Like we heard that you only like winning and we heard that you're, you feel out of shape and surgeries set you back physically and mentally, but why, why are you not finding an event that excites you? And I, and I don't know if we actually discussed that on the episode. And I started talking to Alyssa Hawley, who I don't know if you saw, she looks like tore her calf very shortly into the first sled push. I saw something about it. Yeah. So she had to be wheeled out of the arena. Freaking injuries. And it just hit me because I just went through that same thing in Jacksonville. So we went outside and we sweat waiting for her Uber so that she could Uber to a Walgreens and buy crutches because she wasn't leaving that day. She was leaving the next day. She had to crutch around. So she was down. I was really feeling for her. We just sat there and we sweat too pale. <laughs> She's Northwest. I'm Midwest. <laughs> We're just not used to the heat, just sitting there sweating and commiserating. And I just started talking and I, I, one of those where you talk your way into realizing what you hadn't been thinking. And, and the conversation went like this. And this is what I ended up telling several people who asked was my big carrot dangling coming out of surgery was to get, obviously was to get back, but the what was I was going to come back and win the, I wanted to win the stadium world championship. My boat has sailed for winning the Spartan world championship or winning a track and field world championship. I know those things. No, you're a dreamer, Bracken. Remember you said you're a dreamer. I'm a dreamer, but I'm a realist. And so I realized that my greatest chance of winning a world championship in my life was when Spartan announced the stadium world championship. And then COVID happened and they took that away, but they said it'll be back. And so all throughout rehab, I was thinking, I'm going to be a world champion. That was my shoot for the stars. Mm. And then they never even announced it this year. They never even talked about it. And Frick so it was that I'm going to fall back and grab the moon on my way down. And that's going to be, I'm going to win the stadium series. That'll be my, I'm back. It gives me something to shoot for. And if you're fit enough to run 20 to 40 minutes at high intensity, now you've got that that place where you can shoot off and train for anything. And then what five straight stadiums are canceled and there's only two left. There's not a series. And so that's gone. And Spartan cross was my next thing. There are whispers that summer is Spartan cross and that's right up my alley. And that's not much different than stadiums. And so, all right, that will be my, I'm back. Remind everyone I'm still good. It's in my wheelhouse. I'm not training for a mountain beast at altitude. And when's the last time we heard a sniff of a rumor about that? So it's just like, each goal I had was wrenched away and replaced with one that excited me a little less, but was still acceptable until we got down to, I don't, I don't even know. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's something that a lot of people have too. They're big A race. We just got a message from someone from Canada that their red deer race, that they're so prepped for 
was bumped back five months or four months yeah. or something. Like, what do I even do? By the time it gets to September, I'm going to be, you know, with school and everything. I, I'm not even gonna be able to do it. What do I, when your goal is gone and your, your, your secondary goal has been taken away too, what's left. And I think that's what I came out to is that I had four or five straight goals taken away without me having any say in it. And that's why it was so, it was almost like, why do I even bother choosing a goal? Because it's not going to be there by the time I even get there. And that's what hit me this weekend was the, the goal based, which is I've been choosing unstable goals that are dependent upon other people. Mm. And they were all performance based as in placing in a race that may or may not happen. And so the first thing that hit me is I have to choose something that I get to control whether it happens or not. I can wrap my head around that. Yeah. You uh, you sorted through it. It makes sense. Yeah. And I don't, I don't have it yet, but I at least realized that my frame of reference was a pre-COVID frame of reference, which is pick the race that's going to be a year out and you know it's going to be there because it happens every time and then go for it rather than I have to make a, a definable and a goal that will happen regardless of what's happening in the world. Well, you can't fix a problem unless you can identify the problem first, right? And so you've yeah. identified how you ended up in this situation. I can make sense of that. And I'm sure there's very, uh, you know, a, a number of variations of this for people going on all over the place. Yeah. So uh, that's your personal story, but you can see how that would happen. You just got kicked down slowly, one notch at a time, and then suddenly you're sitting there with your hands in your pockets going like, okay, what, yeah. what do I do now? And starting with the enormity of a world championship goal, someone saying, why don't you go after a 5k PR? Like it just, if that was the original goal, that would excite me, but it pales in comparison so much that it just felt cheap. It felt like some polished plastic rather than that, you know, that gold that was sitting up there initially for me. So I think that's what it was, is everything paled in comparison to what I initially set out to do that. I have to just throw away that whole structure and reframe what I want to do with myself physically. Yeah, that makes sense. So I, I still want to know, did this weekend do anything for you? Or did it just help you sort through uh, your understanding of the doldrum? It Well, the, the week, yeah, it helped me sort through more than anything. But it showed me how the power of a high rock style event is where it's very black and white how you do and how to train for it. Mm -hmm. Like we felt in, in the many other events that we do that you can do everything right in training and you show up and it's like we talked about, you can't compare course to course or whatever. Hyrox is very clear. Like you could go and test the, it's like a giant workout. You can test the same thing over and over and it tells you what you want to know. So it showed me that something along the lines of a repeatable metric is probably where I need to start. Okay. Well, I guess, well, I guess I'm probably just keep scratching at an open wound here, but it didn't reignite my fire. That's what I want to know. But it showed, and, and then like, I didn't walk out a changed man. It wasn't a baptism, but it certainly showed me that I love what I do. And that the moment I find what I want goal-wise again, that the passion for training and competing is still there. Because one of my big fears was that every time I get someplace miserable, I back away a little bit because I didn't care that much about the goal. Yep. And as soon as I got into miserable, but Michelle was next to me, I didn't care about bearing it. I, I just wanted to just keep it pegged the whole time because the goal mattered. Mm -hmm. So again, it just reinforced that when my, when my why is right, that, that urge in me to step on a throat still there. <laughs> That's good verbiage. Um, so are you, are you more less or exactly the same fired up about training now that the event is passed? Has it moved the needle at all? Yeah, it moved the needle. The, which direction? In the positive direction. So what I am getting at, and I knew you'd say that because how does it not, right? Because I didn't have a big, it's not like I get the post-marathon depression because I didn't have a big build to, mm -hmm. uh, I accomplished everything I'd thought about for months and now what's left. I didn't have any of that. It was, uh, oh yeah, this happening this week. <laughs> Let's go do it. And hey, that was fun. Yeah. Well, and me too, just personally, like I'm two weeks removed from my ultra and I'm totally in that. I cut my long run short on Saturday. I was like, I don't want to be doing this right now. I have no interest, nor am I enjoying myself. Mm -hmm. And But here's the thing. When you go through it enough, I expected it. So I'm not worried at all. I'll pop out slowly after a couple of weeks. And as long as you know it's coming, it's okay. Yeah. And it's fine. But but what I want to get at is, and this isn't our topic of the day, by the way, but we, 
we received so many messages about yeah. your your you know slump that we just wanted to chat this out to kind of bring it full circle to start this episode. And what my suggestion to you is this, like, you know, obviously get in touch with your why and all of that, which you are. So or at least remind yourself. But then the other thing is action feels more action, right? And that should be a poster on everybody's wall. And not that it moved the needle a lot for you, but action did. Now imagine if you did this every month for the next four or five, six months, yeah. if that needle gets moved just a percentage every time, pretty soon in a few months, you're right back to, you know, burning on all cylinders. So I would take it as a win on yeah. the motivation column. Yeah. Inertia is a, a real thing, right? Inertia. Sure. Yeah. The ball is now rolling on its own. The sled was such a great metaphor for, for training because the sleds are heavy. They're very heavy and they feel awful when you first push against them. The worst step is the first because you're pushing against dead weight. But as soon as you got it moving, it just cost you less to keep it moving. But then you burned out and you had to stop and shake. And then you had to reinvest to get it moving again. And it, and it really hit me that like, that's, that's our training, right? Mm -hmm. You're pushing against a, a dead weight at first, but once you get it moving, it's good. But unlike the sled, it doesn't weigh you down as you go. You get stronger as you go rather than it's sapping you. And it's either injury or ourself that makes us stop. And then you have to push against dead weight again. So it was a great reminder that this disjointed training, that's not a sustainable thing. You already got a really good analogy in in the first 20 minutes. Look at that. I like that. I, 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 as long as we're being totally honest and, and raw about this, on the flight back home, I finished my movie and I still had about 40 minutes left in the flight. And so I just had my tablet in front of me and I do what I like to do after races. And what I recommend people to do is your first time that you just get thoughts to yourself, write things down, whatever's in your head while it's still fresh and while you're remembering it accurately. Because once we go to sleep and wake back up, you don't remember it accurately anymore. That's why it's important to write in your running log after yeah. you're finished with your workout. After a week, you're like, why didn't I just stick with that person? I could have done that. But you don't realize in the moment how nauseous you were or what your actual reason why you dropped. Yeah, maybe you should have stuck with them, but the reason why is important. So I just write down... And this is going to sound pathetic to some people and other people are going to be like, I get it. But the first two things I wrote down were run compromised like David and look physically like Rich. Okay. Why is that weird? Because why would that be my two biggest takeaways? But watching David Magida transition out of the really heavy sleds and the weighted lunges, he was back up to full stride within seconds. His first steps out of transition and his last looked the same. I was blown away by his ability to run while really blown up. I'm impressed with him. Yeah. I must say it. In Rich, Rich looked like I want to look. Which is? Which is he was very lean, but very muscular. Okay. And I would be lying if I said that personal vanity wasn't a part of why I would train. But both of those guys represented that sled analogy, which neither of those things are attainable without consistency. You don't hit a few blocks and look like Rich. And you don't hit some spot workouts and run like Dave. Those Both of those guys earned what they showed me this weekend by day after day after week after week after month after month of consistency. And so even though those were vanity style statements, the underlying trend was that even if you don't have your big goal, like a race, none of those were race-based. If I don't have a race or a performance, both of those things have to happen with consistency. And if you get to the point where I've done enough Metcon work and strength work that I look like Rich, and I've done enough big workouts and compromise running that I can run like David, you're ready for whatever race you want to do. Mm -hmm. So weird that those were the first two things on my mind, but I think that it's telling of reprioritizing why I would work out. I want to look good for Lisa and I want to run good for me. And those are two pretty basic things. Mm. You couldn't just sneak Rich into the house in the dark, Lisa? <laughs> I don't think that helps my life, Kirk. <laughs> okay, maybe we will avoid that, huh? Yeah. I, I get it, though. I, I think it's helpful to hear someone who, in quotes, has it figured out, right? Yeah. Uh, sort through their problems because it makes it makes everybody else understand how to sort through theirs. And, and I, don't, I don't know if, if maybe you agree with this, but a lot of times when you're in a training doldrum or you're in a slump, uh, you feel kind of alone, like there's something wrong with you. 
Like mm-hmm. it's, it's a reflection of your character. It's a reflection of your will. It's a reflection of your tenacity as a human, but it's not, it happens. It's not chosen. It is bestowed upon you without your choice. And it has nothing to do with you being weak or strong. It is what it simply is. And if you allow it to be that, you don't have to feel alone. Like I'm weak or a wimp and I, I can't get my ass out the door. Or like I, nothing's moving the needle. I just think somebody who, again, in quotes, has their stuff together uh, can go through it. Then everybody else understands that, hey, this is normal and it is normal. But the first time you hit a big slump or one of the first few and you have nobody to bounce this off of, you just kind of feel like a loser. Yeah. And that's not productive. And it's not accurate. It's not. I mean, we all have it figured out until the day you don't. And the moment you don't, what do we all fall back on? It's our fundamentals. It's what we're built upon. Mm-hmm. And the lack, your holes in your fundamentals get exposed when you crumble a little bit. Like your moorings are exposed when you hit your high winds. And if I'm in that section right now, what what is my all of my athleticism based around? What were my fundamentals that were laid? It was jumping sport to sport as a youth. Mm-hmm. And jumping right into the training of whatever was coming up short, short term on my calendar, rather than keeping a base level of fitness year round and pivoting. I just went all in on one thing and then changed an all in on the other. And I was always slightly out of shape for the sport I was starting, but I was going to race myself into fitness. And that's kind of what I'm built upon. Is that what you need to do in your adult professional career? Well, I think that that's a Band-Aid. I could schedule a race every four weeks and just always have something waiting. But what it exposed is that my fundamental of consistency, despite or even without racing or competition, was never built. Mm -hmm. That was the biggest fundamental that I was lacking is self-imposed consistency. My consistency was external. That's tough. Point me in the right direction, and I'm going to get there in the best fitness I can. But there was always someone pointing a direction for me. Yeah. Even when I left college and I should have been I should have been pointing my own, a buddy guilted me into a Spartan race. And as soon as I finished that, I got an email saying I qualified for their inaugural world championship. Everybody probably got that email Bracken. Probably, right? There's probably only like 15 of us. <laughs> <laughs> you can sign up for a Spartan race these days and not even run it. And they'll be like, you qualified for the trifecta world champs. You think I didn't even start. Exactly. Continue. Sorry. Each racer led to the next. DNFing there led to, I've got to get a few more under my belt so I can come back and podium at the next world championship. And that just, it always led to some, even though someone might not have been reaching out, something external always determined my next race. And COVID wiped that away. And it left me with what's my fundamentals. So it was, a, I guess, long answer. What else did I learn was that when we're, it's, it's like a skill-based sport. When you start to struggle, you revert back to your fundamentals. And once you get those under control, your skill starts to show itself again. And so my fundamentals are building sequentially day, 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 week, 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 month, month, month. So what, so what does that mean moving forward for you then more specifically? Uh, I'm only digging because I feel like people are going to be able to hear this and then make their own version of this. Every time you ask me what's next, or I'm saying, all right, I'm, I'm starting this. It's always based upon a race. Yes. My, my goal right now cannot be race-based. That's what you've decided now based on how things are going. It cannot be race-based. So now it has to be something else, which would be what? That's the, that's the thing where I'm, I'm not going to claim to have it yet. I don't know what that next is. I think it has to be a, a personal fitness metric of some sort or a consistency. I need to be able to check 28 out of the next 31 days off as completed training days or something like that. Or I have... 12 weeks scripted. I need to follow all 12 before I even start to think about looking at a race because we both know how I am. The moment I see, I feel fit. I start just like spinning around with my head on a swivel, looking for some place to go use it. Mm -hmm. The races will come, but I have to build it the correct way rather than I have a race. Oh shoot. I'm going to cram for it. It has to be, it has to not be a race that drives my motivation. It has to be internal rather than external. Action feels more action. Yes. So so that's that's my takeaway is I cannot put a race. For a lot of people, I say, put a race on the calendar. You'll get there. I've been doing that for 20 years. Yeah. So now it's time to try the opposite way. Okay. But but that's 
basic training fundamentals is all you're following through with and you're holding yourself accountable by ensuring it gets done. And what happens when you show up for yourself every day? Well, eventually you create new opportunities, right? Yeah. And that's not me saying I won't jump into a race along the way. It's that I won't let it drive my why. So I'm going to go into a base building phase and let's just spend eight weeks running consistently and doing some skill work. OCR skill work along the way, but volume building and strength building and come out of that and then make your next decision. But I have to see a base phase through all the way through because that that would be important to me. And along the way, if you can make it through the unsexy workouts, the daily couple miles, you, you start to get that action moving every single day. Yeah, exactly. And it doesn't mean you have to be in like where like not to romanticize it, but you're not like doesn't mean you're going to be in love with your putting your running shoes on every day. It doesn't mean you're going to suddenly everything's going to be wonderful. It just means that like it's a box I need to check that day and I'm going to check it no matter what my emotional attachment is to checking that box. Yeah. And when you do that, you're only opening doors, not closing them eventually. So like that's that's really the ticket, right? Yeah, it is. And I finally, in the last few years, come to the point where I realize I really love running. Good. You host a running podcast. You should like running. Well, for years, I loved competing and running was necessary to compete well. But some a couple of years ago, I realized I actually love the process of running now. Lately, it's been leaving the house that's the hard part. I've never regretted leaving the house once. It's just that I get done with the run. I think, man, I got to do this every day. And the next morning, I, I say, I don't want to go out today. Mm-hmm. knowing full well, if I get out there, I'm going to love it. Like right now it started raining. It's pouring outside right now. Last week I would have said, yeah, I should probably just hike on the incline trainer instead. But today I know, what do I know about myself? I've never had a bad rain run in my life. Mm. So I'm going to go run in the rain right after this, because those are those little things that are going to get those stoke birds a chirping, Kirk. Ooh, that's an Adam Buck shout out there, Adam, if you're listening. Well, do you just want to stop this episode now and get out there while it's still raining? Should we just cut this short so you can get out running the rain bracket, or should we give the people uh, maybe our topic today? Let's transition into part two of the episode. Only a 30-minute opener. We're getting long-winded with these. It leads in well, though, because what ha- – now, I, I can't speak to you, but to the people that reached out to me, at least 50% of the people – their why they're in a doldrum contained in some form the exact same word, which was heat or hot. They all mentioned weather. Man, hot and heat. If I look back at my email chains from, this is our topic of the day, actually, before I, let's not soft set this up. We're talking about training in the heat, right? It's, I don't know about wherever you live right now that you're listening to this, but here, I mean, I'm in Minnesota. I'm four hours from the Canadian border and we hit a hundred degrees on Saturday, 98 on Friday, 98 yesterday. Uh, Suddenly our world's turned upside down and everybody's crushed by hot heat. And uh, what I was getting at is in my email check-ins, I bet you I'll do a quick search after we record this, the word hot or heat. I bet you I got a hundred (laughs) references. So it's pertinent right now. And and this is why that first part still is important because We're talking about running in heat, but heat running leads to the doldrums. It leads to a slump because you don't want to run a quality workout in the heat because your easy days feel like crap. Mm -hmm. And they're depressing because you can't hit your paces or you're supposed to hit your pace at, you know, hitting threshold pace costs you 5k effort. It's, it's miserable. And a lot of people have been quitting their workouts and others have been just doing the workout until they fail and leaving depressed. Mm, Let's talk about training in the heat yeah uh do you want to hear something here Listen yeah up. i do you ready turn on your let the audience guess what that is it's the first time in running public history i'm drinking an energy drink while we record bracken i have never in my life drank a monster uh i drink about three a year this three is my a year <laughs> yeah whether you need it or not i need it right now but I just thought, you know, I didn't want to hide the audio from everybody because they'd be like, is Kirk opening a beer or something? Well, no, it's just a clock. <laughs> <laughs> All right. On to the topic of the day. No, I'm going to ask about that. Okay. There are several times a year where you need, you're in a situation, you just have to buy an energy drink. Maybe you're driving late at night. Maybe you're right before something you need to pick me up. Anytime I look in that gas station free fridge mm-hmm. and you've got them all in front of you, I never choose a monster. I don't either. Okay, I always think that's got to be one of the worst ones for me. Oh, no, I don't buy that crap. Why'd you choose it today? Uh, Because it was the only one in my fridge. 
I have had no caffeine today. You already had it in your fridge. Why'd you get it there in the first place? Because Jess bought them at the, she drinks them. Oh. And she left it in my fridge because this weekend we bought the new house and we were not sleeping much because we were just burning the candle and I haven't slept a ton. It was like, it was like vacation mode. Anyways, and I'm sitting here chatting with you and I'm like, I brought that up here in my recording booth because I was like, I have a feeling I might get tired today. Listening to Bracken drone on. <laughs> Has nothing to do with that. his pity party. So that's how this perfect storm happened. And here, listen. That's the first sip there. Filter that through your beard. I'll get that. I'll get real uh, yeah, speedy here coming up. But we don't need to dwell on this. I just thought it was important to address. And we're all not perfect. So heat. What do we do about it? Well, I think you remember that that little Sears commercial where they say, there's no rules. No, I don't remember he that. He his shirt off and he said, put your shirt on. He said, there's one rule. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do remember that. There's one rule of heat. And that there are no rules. We, I throw out all my rules and guidelines for heat and for altitude. Okay. Well, that, well, all rules go? I mean, that's a that's a over-dramatization. But what, generally, I say I do not bring water on anything less than 90 minutes. Or I do not vary from the paces I'm trying to hit, even if I'm feeling crappy that day, because I might feel crappy on a race day. And I do not shorten long runs because of fatigue or whatever, all those rules stop mattering in heat and humidity or altitude all right. because you have to survive heat training in whichever way you can. So pick whichever those you want to start with and let's dive in. No, uh, I want to dive into something actually very uh, interesting is a stat that was it my Garmin or Strava gave me and it, you know, your Strava connects now to like a weather app. So now when you upload something, it tells you what the weather is and the yep. temperature. And it gave me some like heat acclimation points. It gave <laughs> me some, oh, you heat acclimated one point today or something weird. Did you, have you seen this? Well, that would require running outdoors, Kirk, which I haven't been doing much lately. Okay. Well, somebody, I don't know where I saw this, but it gave me a rating like, hey, you whatever. It's like, you're this close to being heat acclimated, which was an interesting technology twist I haven't seen before, but yeah. that's a tangent, but um, we can dive into whatever you want to first. You know, we could fluff this and make it super in the box and be like, get up early and run before the sun's up and dirt to dirt. Yeah. But like, that's not going to help you. No, it's not going to help you. First thing I do in the heat is I throw pace out the window on all my easy days. I throw it right out the window. If I normally run nine minute pace on technical trails for my easier recovery days, well, I don't look at pace. I just go out there and I run by heart rate and that's it. I notice, let's say I'm running 730 pace and it's 50 degrees or it's 90 degrees. There's a 10 beat per minute average increase, I would say approximately an extreme high temperature with the same perceived effort. Um, and cardiac drift becomes much more real in heat. I don't know if you've noticed that oh, like yeah. throughout a run. It is incredible. So I agree with that. Pace out the window. You're going to see like, again, it's just my personal experience. Looks like you nodded your head. But 10 beats a minute difference once you get into that like high 80, 85 plus degree heat. Yeah, we were pulling the camper back home last weekend. And it was in the 90s or low, high 80s, low 90s, humid. And I'm just watching the... The, the engine temperature sitting there, the okay. temperature gauge. And we hit stop and go traffic for 22 miles. And the moment we stop moving, that's, that temperature gauge starts ticking up a little bit because we've been stressing the engine, but it's because it's so hot. It's because minivans aren't meant to pull campers back. Listen, I have a Dodge Grand Caravan. That's a mini. Oh, it's a full minivan, whatever. GT package, Kirk. It's like a Hummer with, with in a minivan form. <laughs> that's a Hummer that looks like a torpedo that carries children. Yeah, thank you. That you get me. All right. Yeah, all right. But but it, it was it was it shows like that's exactly what happens in heat. Our, our biggest fight, whether you're a machine or a human, when the human body is basically a machine with emotions, its biggest fight is to keep its core temperature down. Sure. You watch animals, that's all their life is around. It's eating and keeping their core temperature in the right zone or we die. And where the car overheats when it stops moving because it stops getting air rushing through and helping cool it, we do the opposite. The more we move, the more our body has to fight and use energy just to cool ourselves down. And so normally those 10 beats would go towards your running and now that's it's turning inwards just to cool you down. 
Like it is really work for your body. Even though you don't see the work in your pace, you have to respect the work that your body's doing to cool you down. Well, what it comes down to is vasodilation on your extremities and then close to your skin. So all those blood vessels on your surface expand, which means they hold and carry more blood, which is how we cool our body. We bring blood to the surface of our skin and we also sweat. And so what that means, honestly, if you're really going to talk it, uh, what what's happening is there's less the the vessels near the surface of your skin are holding more blood which means there's less available for let's say working muscles etc it's also why people will notice that they'll get more gi discomfort in hot weather they'll get headaches when they're running hard you'll notice you have tummy issues in a 95 degree day and your nutrition isn't sitting right it's all because our internals aren't being supplied with the typical nutrients and blood that they are. So that's really the basis of why it's that much harder on our cardiovascular system is it's lack of availability, we will call it, of oxygen. That was a good description. Yeah, but that's what's happening. Yeah. And so you get the question as a coach, my heart rate's higher. Do I go off heart rate or do I just say it's only high because of the heat? I throw it out and we're going to focus on pace. And I say, you, your heart rate doesn't lie to you. Well, on recovery days, we're talking. Recovery and easy. My heart rate doesn't lie to me. If it's high, it's because it's performing work somewhere. The work is costing it and you respect that. We, we preach polarizing our training, then you have to respect the work your body's doing on your easy and recovery days. So the first thing I do is I throw pace out the window on easy and recovery days. And that gives you some freedom to go out and just run as slow as you want. Just keep your cadence up. One of the first things you notice in hot weather is we get sluggish and our stride slows. Mm -hmm. So we don't care about pace because pace doesn't on easy days doesn't help you, but bad form and bad technique will hurt you. So mm -hmm. keep your form and pace, I mean, your form and your cadence together at whatever pace is required to stay within the confines of your easy run. You're not getting less fit, okay? No. You're not, you don't need to go back and cry yourself to sleep about like I'm losing fitness and all of that. Just trust the temperature's up and your pace is slowed. Don't beat yourself up for it, it's okay. But the big mistake is trying to run. You're not losing fitness. So don't worry about that. You're not going to lose fitness on your recovery runs by going slower. Again, physiological and metabolic demands will be met when your heart rate gets where it needs to go. And that will happen even at a slower pace. So like, just trust that, please. And then I think we should talk about the flip side of the coin. And that is now the quality days, right? So um, now we got a big one and we got a tempo run. We got mile repeats. You just mentioned heart rate, not pace. Okay. Address that little dance for us. All right. This is a bit of a rule now. You still have to hit your paces. Wait, that's a double standard, Bracken. It is, but it doesn't it doesn't fly in the face of what I said earlier is I treat it like altitude. What do you do at altitude when you move up there? You still got to hit 5k pace or you still got to hit threshold, but you can't maintain your threshold heart rate up there cuz you there's no oxygen for you. You break it into smaller chunks. So the, I mean I have I have I'm working with a guy right now who lives down in Louisiana. And we're not using this currently unless he's on a treadmill because it's so hot and humid. We're just not using it. But I generally start with, if you were going to hit five by thousand, you might go out and you hit eight to 10 by 500 instead. You cut the interval shorter so that you can hit the pace and we lengthen the recovery if we need to. I treat it like altitude. Okay. So you don't just plow through with your thousand meter repeats. You, you will always modify or it's just an option too, if that seems important. To option you. two. I start the summer hitting my workouts no matter what. Because I'm one of those people that I have found, I struggle at altitude. I perform well in the heat until I crack. Me too. So I talk about that eight by thousand. I was hitting that workout two summers ago. I was hitting the eight hundreds and thousands and 1200, one of my classic progressions. And I was hitting them just fine. I just felt like death on my warm up, my cool down and in between my reps. But as soon as I got back to it, I can finish off my reps just fine. Sure. But there's the option, instead of quitting the workout, I cut the interval length down. So if by rep three, I'm blowing up, I cut it down to 600s or 500s or 400s. And then I just try to do more of them. But I want to hit my time at the intended pace and or a heart rate. That's okay. my take. What's yours? Um, so, well, yes. Uh, but, but here's the ultimate goal. If you're thinking of training and you're thinking of why we train, why you're listening to this podcast, why you're investing time into all this, it's to 
of course it serves many purposes, but ultimately you're going to tow a start line. You're going to race, right? Ideally. And we're going to tow start lines in the morning generally. So we're going to tow a start line when the temperature is cool, the sun hasn't broken the the treetops and and generally it's going to feel a little bit better. So my take is this, is that no matter what the heat does to your, this is quality work. Now we're talking not only quality. Correct. No matter what it does to you, no matter how damaging and miserable it makes you, I have a job where I train clients in the morning and I train them in the afternoon and evening. So I run in the middle of the day. In the summer, I'm out there at noon and it is what it is. Um, Cole DeRosa, for example, he's another one. We talked about this in our interview with him, how he gets out in the middle of the day in the heat because that's his schedule. How he lives in up. Florida. And he lives in Florida, correct. And you know what I notice when I get into these little midday training patterns? And yes, my workouts suffer and sometimes I blow up and all this. Guess what happens when I tow a start line at 7.30 in the morning? I feel amazing. My heart rate chills. It never spikes. I'm like so in control of my effort because I've actually just kind of allowed the heat to win, but I've chose to go out in it every day. And sure, my metrics are tough, but all that matters is when you tow that start line. And I have noticed when I'm in that pattern that I'm 95% guaranteed to feel pretty good when the gun goes off because of the perspective and the demands of the heat training on my body. So what I'm getting at there is I don't modify anything. It is what it is. And I suffer through it. And I know I'm going to feel better on a 75 degree cool morning in the, in the shade. So there it is. So I don't avoid it or change anything at all. Only with that in mind. Yeah. It's like coming down from altitude on a race morning when you when you've put in a summer of hard heat workouts you know you're fit you just yeah. know like what are you going to do to me mm-hmm. so yeah you have to hit your quality days you have to now you can come inside for example the guy down in in louisiana we've recently switched his speed work to the treadmill sure. so it just wasn't it wasn't happening outdoors so we moved inside but i like to start best case scenario you still hit the full length and the full pace in the full weather and then you start retracting and retracting until you find the piece you can hit. There was, um, I used uh, Chris Zielinski. I used him as a reference in something in our last episode. Yeah. I don't know if you remember this, but um, he was a junior in, no, sophomore in high school. And he took third at the Foot Locker uh, National High School Cross Country Championships behind like, I don't know, Tim, it doesn't even matter, Tim Nelson and somebody else. Anyways, and he got done. And this Foot Locker Nats happens in like December. And he's a Wisconsin guy. So he's up in the cold. And this happened in Florida. And it was like a 75 or 80 degree morning. And he gets interviewed at the finish line. He's a sophomore, right? He's the next prodigy. And he wins it the next two years. And he said, how did you get ready for this race? And he said, well, I knew it was going to be hot. And I don't live where it's hot. So I ran in three layers of clothes every day for, for a month leading up to this. He's like, it felt pretty cool today. And he was out running in teens in Wisconsin training. But the dude wore three layers of clothes and hat and gloves, no matter the temp, to get ready for a race coming up. And then he goes to Florida from Wisconsin on race morning, still 75 degrees, but feels like that was the easiest run I've done in, th- in a month mm-hmm. because he just got himself overacclimated. I know it's like a weird parallel to make, but it makes sense. Yeah. And so that was part of his key to success, in quotes, was just overheating in his training. Yeah. The people who are most successful, they lean into those rough points. Yeah. Uh, marathoners preparing for the Athens Olympic marathon back in the day. The ones who did really well were wearing layers running indoors with a space heater on for their quality days and their long days. A, to get used to it and B, to figure out their fueling needs and all of that, their their water needs. But yeah, I don't cut my long run short in the heat. Mm-mm. I may place water out on the course ahead of time. I may return to the car halfway through and get more water, but I get through the demands of it. And again, it comes down to what are you training towards? If you're training towards performance, you got to hit it. If you're training towards fitness and health and happiness, then you can make your other decisions. But you have to cave on your easy days and hold strong, stand firm on your quality days. Yeah. And I'm taking that so seriously with the heat thing. Um, In the new new house I have, I'll have a room that will be dedicated to a gym. And if we go to Abu Dhabi um, in December where a lot of us in the North are going to deal with that situation. And that's going from cold North to hot Abu Dhabi. I'm putting a space heater in that, in that spare bedroom and I'm going to make it 90 degrees in there and get on the treadmill. And those are the things that, you know, some people, I think, I think what I'm getting at is like, some people look at the heat as like, they roll their eyes and like, Oh, 
ho-hum, the heat, but you should really just reframe your mind to use it as a training tool to benefit your racing. Yeah. If racing is your goal. I do want to talk about, it looked like you had something more to say on that, but I wanted to talk about, um, there are a handful of people and I know like uh, not to stereotype, but if you're a menopausal woman, for example, I train a bunch of them in the gym. They're not getting out 90 degrees and going running. It is not happening. Mm-hmm. You could, you, they would rather go run in 10 degrees in a t-shirt than run in 90 degrees because they, you, they cannot handle the heat. So what do you tell and, and I get it. There's something going on with some women in particular who just cannot heat adapt. What do you do? To, what did that person do? But then you, you go inside and you hit the, the workout on a treadmill and you nail it. Simple as that? What it is. Get inside, get in the AC and nail your workout. Because you don't get out of shape by running in the fall when it's nice outside or in the winter. Nailing workouts is nailing workouts. If best case scenario doesn't exist, you make the best of the next case scenario. Sure. So just don't use the heat as, as an excuse and find a way to get it done. Exactly. You just got to get it done. And and what, what I was going to say was it's the same thing as winter. It's mindset. The people who dread the cold are terrible at running in the cold. And the people who are saying, hey, I'm going to go get my first week or two in and then it's going to be fine are the people who love running in winter and then they get good at it. Same thing with the heat. If every day you think about how terrible it's going to be, it's a terrible run every day. But if you just say, I'm going to go through the first week or two of bad and then I'm, I'm going to normalize to it. I'm going to acclimate. Then that's exactly what happens. And you still have more crappy days than you normally would have, but you just say, Hey, this, this, I mean, it's a phrase that's overused, but it is what it is. I had a bad run today in this, in the winter. I find, I mean, my summer, I find myself listening to way more music or audiobooks or podcasts than I do in the winter. In the winter, it's like Zen, you know, zone out, look at the pretty trees covered in snow. I can just disappear for hours in my mind in summer. I need my distractions. And you just say, that's what it is. I need a crutch today. It's so funny too. We, we long for summer and we can't wait till it's here. And as <laughs> soon as it's here, we all just bitch about it yep. being too hot as runners. And, and science will tell us and physiological adaptation will tell us that uh, heat acclimation happens much quicker than let's say altitude acclimation. Yes. If you expose yourself to heat every day, um, you're talking like almost full heat acclimation in 10 to 14 days, full, like as much as you're going to adapt to training and your body's going to understand how to cool itself best and shunt blood properly. And all of that 10 to 14 days of exposing yourself every day and training in those conditions, you're pretty much all the way there as far as adaptation. Whereas when you're talking altitude training and adaptation, you're just scratching the surface at 10 to 14 days and you're not fully acclimating for three to nine months. So like heat acclimation can happen. It's a trial by fire, literally. As long as you expose yourself to that stimulus for roughly two weeks, you're about acclimated as far as you're going to get. But um, the the curve is really steep early. And if you're avoiding it and then have to go out in it, it's going to hit you twice as hard. But it comes around quickly. So that's what we're looking at for heat acclimation, just for point of reference. Yeah. And, and that's it. And it's mental as well. If you avoid the heat every time you go out, it's miserable. Yeah. If you embrace the heat and it's 95, 88 feels like a relief. 88 would still feel like you're on the surface of the sun if you were indoors all the time. There would be no comparison. There's no there's no rationalization in your mind. Well, this is 10 degrees less than 98 because it all feels hot to you. So you have to just take the bad days to to have any sense of normalcy in your training. But there are examples of both. There are people, there are pro runners, there are high-level athletes that refuse to go outside in summer and they do just fine. And there are people who refuse to go indoors and they do just fine. Both sides work if your mindset's right. The hard part comes, the hardest part is if you train only indoors, but then you have to go race and it's hot. Then you're screwed. You're screwed unless you have a strategy and you're dialed in. Yeah. What I think we should talk about, I mean, in a sense, we're talking theory still, kind of. Um, What I think we should address is like, okay, how do we, okay, we have to run. How do we stay cool? How do we actually approach this to give us the best fighting chance in hot temperatures in order to succeed or at least perform as well as we could hope? Because I do think there's some things you could do correct and there's some things you could do wrong. So, okay, here's the deal. We're in the heat. How do we negate it best as possible? Well, again, I kind of look at heat and cold as the same thing. They're opposite ends, but they're extremes. And in my, I mean, you, I say this to Lisa all the time when she talks about how bad the weather is. I said, leave the roads, come to the trails, both in winter 
and in summer. It's always warmer on the trails than the roads in winter, and yep. it's always cooler on the trails than the roads in summer. 100%. You get in shade. You get in the woods on the trails if you can. That's the first easiest way to do it is get out of the sun and you can still be outside. That's the first thing I do. I agree with that. Simple. Yeah, simple. Second thing is that you know how you get all warm and hot, you keep your car hot before you go out in the winter? Mm -hmm. You can do the same thing. You can warm up in your basement, do all your mobility, do everything, and then head right outside for your run. You, If you shorten the amount of time you spend out there, if you warm up and cool down inside, I almost always, if I'm hitting a big workout in nasty weather, I almost always try to cool down inside unless I'm specifically trying to acclimate to a long, hot race. But yeah. other than that, yeah, I try to come back inside and cool down on my treadmill. Okay. I, um, I got a weird, uh, maybe unexpected recommendation for those who struggle with heat. Okay. Um, and that is, I, I would say I, I have what I would call like an iron stomach when it comes to running on a full stomach. I could eat a quarter pounder with cheese and large fry and a Coke and go out and run and maybe not even know I did it. Speaking of, did you see Natasha, what not happened to Natasha? I just saw this morning. Yes. And I'm bringing this full circle. And then I, good. And so, yes, yeah, she had some tummy problems on her race and it was hot. And she bragged about, she was eating hot pockets during her <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Yeah, so, so the, the, the issue, and I believe is what happened with her. She said, I have a really long check-in email to read in my inbox. So I, will, I haven't read it yet, but I'm sure that does some explaining. But uh, what I'm getting at with that is even Natasha, let's say, for example, has an iron stomach. If you can eat a ham and cheese sandwich in the middle of a run, like you're probably doing pretty good on the stomach front. But she had tummy problems. She couldn't even keep her nutrition down. And what I'm guessing has happened, and again, I could be wrong. Natasha, you'll have to confirm this with me. Is Natasha, you had your typical big breakfast. You did your whole, and she likes to eat, right? And then she went out and ran hard, and we're getting slapped with this first bout of heat. I think on a hot morning, that's the time to put half a cliff bar in your body and leave it good. Because anything we put in our GI system pulls away from that blood shunting of the extremities for the cooling. And then also it forces our body to deal with that metabolic process of digesting food when our body is going, I need to cool my body off. So in the heat, I suggest you give yourself extra time, like three, four hours from a meal at least. Or if you're morning running, that's when you go lighter on your breakfast. You go lighter on everything and you, you do overdo it maybe the night before. But because of the way the body works, it's a mistake to do to overstress your GI system when it's hot out. And so the first thing is like, leave that alone. And you, you're eating leading up should, should serve you well. But that's the window where like a lot of people make that mistake. And then it causes one, like not non-availability of blood, let's call it, which is not exactly how it happens, but to go and cool you off because all that, that blood is still vasodilated in the GI system. And that all is like a snowball effect. So lighten up your, your food load is very important before hot weather running, um, which I don't think most people think about, but it's important. And Natasha, my guess is that got you in a little bit of trouble. So. Yeah, we we always have more calories available than we think. We do. And summer's the time to lean into that. Yes, exactly. So that's that's actually the first place my mind goes as far as giving yourself a fighting chance. Let okay. your body processes have their full chance to work the way our bodies want to and don't hinder that by overloading your GI system um, before a hot run. I like that. That's useful. Yeah, it is useful. And, and try it out. I, I challenge you to try it out. You'll notice a difference. Tips and tricks, you you keep all your clothing cold. If you yeah. really struggle with it or if you're going to have a big workout, freeze your shorts, freeze your shirt, freeze your hat, minimum in the fridge and, and do that. Uh, we've talked about Mike Ferguson before, but he's a guy that just hates the heat to run in. And so before, back when I was coaching him, before big hot races, uh, I said, all right, you just, I would bring along a cooler with ice water in it. And you keep your race shorts and race shirt in there the entire time and then a towel. And so you go out, you do your warm up, you come back. And then right before the race, you change. And he changed into his ice cold shirt. And then he kept a towel over his head up until the start line. And then he tossed it off and he ran. 
My first uh, second Spartan race, technically in Minnesota, 2016, he won. He won big. He beat Mark Botres. He beat a bunch of guys. He had a race. We got heat delayed or delayed because the ambulances weren't there. EMTs weren't there in case somebody got hurt. So we had delayed and it was like a 95 degree day. Mike Ferguson kept dipping his freaking towel in ice water, putting it around his neck at the start line. And he was just sitting there and he was just like so comfortable and zen. And I think that actually was key to his success that day. For sure. You look at the top athletes for the uh, before the trials, before other races. I know Galen Rupp's there with his his uh, cooling sleeves on and their cooling jackets and vests on. And they're doing everything they can do to do the body's job for it. So it doesn't have to thermoregulate. It can keep all of its blood and energy for other purposes until it absolutely has to. It's why they keep handing out frozen cold hats to runners and why they're putting cold water over their head and ice in their hats. Part of it's for the comfort of it. The other half is so that if you can relieve the body of its job, it can focus more on the task of running. Little things. The bottom half of your ice or your water bottle frozen in the freezer so it constantly keeps your water cold on the race course. Those things make a really, really, really big difference. And the the water principle, um, running by water and splashing it on your body or face, even if the water's warm, like water dissipates heat. That's why we sweat, right? We sweat and release heat because water is cooling. That moisture is cooling for us. Even if it is a warm glass of water at a trail race, that's been sitting in the sun, splashing that on you dissipates heat. So little things like that add up. Let's say you put that cold towel around your neck before you start and you have ice in your water bottle. So at least the water in there stays cold. And then you splash yourself in the face with that cup of water, even if it is a warm cup of water. And pretty soon you're just like doing enough where you're sustaining effort without blowing up. And so those tricks go, and you haven't eaten too much beforehand and all those little things go a long ways. Yeah. If you're on the trails, you load up your trunk with those supplies. Yep. When I, uh, my the hottest summer I ran in and I remember one day I had an 18 miler to do. And instead I did three by, it was what, six mile loops. One was a five, two or sevens or whatever. And I, instead of doing the big 18 mile loop, I did three little loops, like loops like a clover. And I just kept coming back to the car. I'd pop the trunk as I got close. I'd go in. I'd toss my hat out, take the next one out of the cooler and toss my water bottle out and take the next frozen one and put it in my belt and keep running. If I, mm -hmm. if I really needed it, I'd come by. I'd, I just had an extra couple bottles of water and I'd just take them and dump them over me as I ran. And every, what, every 40 to 60 minutes, I had that refreshment and regeneration of some cooling on me. Another mistake people make is they'll end up, uh, you got lightning or thunder going on over there? Oh yeah. Yeah. We're storming Kirk. Woo. It's finally going to cool us off is what it's going to do. And speaking of heat, I showed Kirk before this. I'm in a, what did we decide it was? Seven by six room. You're in a pretty small room, yeah. And we have air units, uh, window units rather than central air in our old home. But they're so loud that I can't have them in here. So when we record, I keep air blasting into here and then I shut the door. And then I just, my, my, my heat just hot boxes this. And <laughs> the longer we go on, the stickier and sweatier and hotter I get. Let's see those armpits, Bracken. Oh, you got like softball size, uh, maybe uh, baseball size pit stains. But I'm, me. I'm just sticky everywhere. Look at me in my central air. You're clean. Clean. All right. Um, the other mistake I see people make is uh, they'll end up like bringing their gallon of water or whatever, and then they let it, you know, they keep checking back with it. But by the time they get to it, the sun's been beating on it and they're drinking bath water. And that's also like a mistake, ice cube and everything up. Yeah. You'll notice and that it tastes like plastic. It's the worst. Or if you have like a, like a sustain elite mixed in something and then it gets hot, you might as well just be drinking chalk because it makes you thirstier and warm yeah. mixed water. So that's one of those things too. But um, where should this conversation go, Bracken, that we, I mean, we're talking basics, but I think, you know, it needs to be addressed. Is there something that you want to talk about with this that we haven't talked about? I've pretty much reached the end of my, of my typical chat about heat. You embrace it on the quality days and you give in and back off on your easy and recovery days, I think the last thing you can do in heat is get a running partner. To me, outside of, outside of being in the dumps like I am, you know, the doldrums when you need someone to get you out the door, heat's the biggest time to run with somebody. Anything you can do to take your mind off of it is super helpful. But we've talked about the tips. We've talked about how we approach quality and easy days. I think it's a good point for me to leave it. Okay. Um, 
Yeah, and I, I think if I'm just going to PSA this, I think it's um, – I don't think it's smart to avoid it, even if you know that you're miserable in it and you hate it. I think it's one of those things that you use as a training tool, not use it as like, oh, this is a punishment that the environment is throwing this at me. I think that when you embrace it, I think that it only works to your benefit. It's not going to harm your performance when it comes to racing. Even if your metrics during workouts are slower, that's okay. I just think it's one of those things that you should own and suck up and get used to and use to your advantage. Because if you live at sea level like we do, this is our chance. Like this summer heat and humidity is our chance to give us a percent or two advantage when it comes to race morning. Not everybody has that. So use it. Like if you want a competitive advantage, don't avoid it. I don't think you should avoid it. I think you should actually seek it. And so that's just my, my bias take based on my own personal experience. And that's just like my mini PSA regarding the heat. I love it. Let's leave it there. Reframe your mind and say it's now a tool. Exactly. It's another tool in your belt, at least for the summer months. So if you're in your, your slump, reach out to us. Mm -hmm. I'm going through it with you. We'll commiserate together and we're going to get through it together. We're going to come out the other side or you're going to quit running. One of the two. Hop on the running public training plan. See if that stokes a fire. Hire one of us as a coach. See if that stokes a fire. Join a running group. See if that stokes a fire. Enter a race this weekend that you weren't planning to. See if that stokes a fire. Or just give up altogether, but I don't recommend that last one. That doesn't stoke the fire. That means you're less likely to relight the next fire you encounter. It's much more costly to start pushing that sled from a dead stop than it is to keep it rolling, isn't it, Bracken? Keep that baby moving. <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys. And Michelle, great work this weekend. Thank you. It was awesome to watch your race. You're an animal, and you helped to restoke my fire a little bit. So thank you very much. I had a blast with you this weekend. Woo!